0: Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb. And then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You ever own something that inspired you to up your game? We spend so much time in our cars. It's nice to have a car that makes you feel good. It's giving me like, you deserve to take care of yourself, girl. Honey, I just love Alexis Lexus because it's giving luxury. It just gives like, nice. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And the features on this GX, honey? Available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Available front row massaging seats. Ooh! Available 33-inch all-terrain tires. That's wide! Available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Welcome to Getting Curious, I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by Deborah King, where I ask her, what's the physics of ice skating? Welcome to Getting Curious, this is Jonathan Van Ness. We have Such an exciting episode for you today. Deborah King is a professor and the grad chair of exercise, science, and athletic training at Ithaca College. She specializes in the biomechanics of sport performance with a focus on drumroll, please. Competitive figure skating! This is such a major episode. I think anyone that listens to this podcast knows that I'm like almost medically compulsively diagnosed with figure skating obsession. Um, so you're the perfect person to ask Deborah King, what is the physics of figure skating? And first of all, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, thanks. Oh, what a big question it is The physics of figure skating, where should we start?
0: I would love for you to kind of share with people, how does someone become an expert in this?
1: So I went to college and I actually majored in math. And I get the question all the time, how do you go from math to biomechanics and exercise science? But math is like used in physics. It's like how you understand physics in the world and the universe. And I just loved sports. Um, I did sports growing up. So I thought, how could I use math? And I almost majored in physics. So how can I use math and physics and sports? pre-Google, right? I'm old enough, pre-Google. Did some searching in the library and found this field of biomechanics and it just like was perfect. So I went on and did graduate work in biomechanics.
0: So then how did you get into like figure skating? Were you obsessed with it when you were little?
1: So we watched the Olympics all the time growing up when I was little. So that was like every four years you watch the Olympics. But it, I actually sort of fell into it when I was doing my master's degree um, at UMass Amherst. My advisor is like, would you be interested in doing a assistantship out at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs? And who would say no to that? And then while I was there, they work with like a sports medicine and science camp with U.S. figure skating. Uh, So we started working with them and it was just really cool. I've worked with them on and off ever since.
0: I feel like just so that y'all can know, because so Deborah and I, as we're recording this, we can see each other on our (laughs) Zoom. And I think Deborah just thought that the computer froze because my I mouth did. was so wide open because like I couldn't even move because like I was just like in shock and like like if I, I, someone offered me an assistantship at the U.S. training center. So wait, what year? What years were this? Was this like in the? early 90s. 2000s,
1: 90s, 90s. Yeah. That so is it
0: safe <laughs> to say that you were minding your own business at the U.S. Olympic Training Center when none other than Miss Michelle Kwan and Tara Lipinski were probably coming in and out of there like training and stuff? You probably saw really major people.
1: I did see major people. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It was so cool.
0: OK, so first of all, what is biomechanics?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. It's studying the mechanics of a living system. So you could think of people. We're living systems. And so studying like mechanics of how we move, forces acting on us, the motions we go through, how our bodies' joints are loaded, covers a big range of stuff.
0: Okay, so that's what it's studying the mechanics of a living being.
1: Technically, it wouldn't have to be a being. It could be a plant. Ah. But I do people.
0: You do. So there are biomechanics, people who do like trees and like other stuff.
1: Sure. Like you could do like how the sap moves through a tree or the roots grow under the soil. Um, Wouldn't that be cool?
0: Yes. I'm like, I I feel bad. I feel like you keep thinking that I'm freezing, but you're just telling me so much cool stuff that my face freezes. Okay, so what are like some of the principles of like human biomechanics? Is it like force or something? Yeah.
1: So a great place to start is with Newton's laws. So law of inertia, an object at rest stays at rest or an Mm -hmm. object in motion stays in constant motion unless acted upon by external force.
0: So that means that like I could do my single axle until like and I'll stay in motion until my body comes back in contact with the ground, which would be that external force.
1: Yes, but gravity is also a force. So you could Mm -hmm. do your single axle. If it wasn't gravity, you would just float up and up and up and up. So gravity actually pulls you to the ground, but then the ground stops you from falling further.
0: Oh god, okay, Jonathan, that is so I can see like why I'm not a physicist now. It's so many you got your verticals, you got your horizontals, you got your diagonals. You're dealing with math every which way.
1: Exactly. In figure skating, it's like up and down and horizontal and you're rotating. It's like as complicated as it can get.
0: What's the science behind just, like, walking or, like, jumping? Like, how would, like, is it the same forces for all of those movements?
1: Sort of, yeah. So, you always got to remember gravity, because we're doing everything here on Earth. Um, Friction. It's a different amount of friction on ice versus on the ground, but there is still still friction. Um, And... Walking, jumping, and figure skating, we probably are not too concerned about air resistance. Some of the sports people are going to watch the Winter Olympics, air resistance, it's going to be huge. It's not going to be that important in figure skating.
0: So friction, gravity, and then air resistance for other things. Is air resistance like the people that do like the long jumping and skiing, like they're really worried about it? Oh my
1: gosh, ski jumping, that is such a cool sport. Yes, air resistance is like so major.
0: Okay, so then what about like, you know how like it seems like gymnasts are often like, like not super duper tall. Yeah, it's, you know. So, what are some of the factors that informs like how someone moves, like their height or like body type? Like, is there a is there a particular like form of body that works the best on ice skating?
1: Sure. So in figure skating, yeah, obviously you move in your own body. You don't have to like like football where you have to tackle someone else. So you need. You need to be able to get yourself in the air and rotate fast. So a more petite person, that's easier to do because you have less mass to move. And with shorter limbs, so a taller person generally has longer arms, a shorter person generally has shorter arms that are fairly proportional to your height. So if you have shorter arms and legs because you're more petite, it's also easier to rotate. And since so much rotating and spinning and figure skating, it helps generally just be a smaller person.
0: And then I feel like, um, you know, we've like, there are certain people in gymnastics. And I think it's also definitely happened in figure skating where like you see an athlete, like maybe just killing it. Like they like win worlds, they maybe win Olympics or they're just like really like high, like they're just up there. And then if they go through like puberty or their body changes, like it just becomes like a whole different thing to like maintain your technical elements, like throughout a growth spurt. So does that have something to do with it too? Is like not only your length, but it's like if you all of a sudden develop like hips or like a chest, or even could that affect like, a, like a someone who's assigned male at birth and is competing as a cisgender male. Like if all of a sudden they get like way musclier and their shoulders get broader or they develop like bigger pecs or like a bigger bum or like, you know, bigger, stronger legs. Does that make it harder too? Yeah.
1: So I think there's two things going on there. One is just growth. So if you're getting taller or broader, that changes not just your mass, but it changes something called your moment of inertia, mm-hmm. which is a fancy physics term that's super important in figure skating. It has to do with how much resistance your body has to start rotating and stop rotating and sort of keep rotating. So it's sort of like mass is a measure of inertia for linear motion. So just when you're mm-hmm. gliding straight, moment of inertia is a measure of resistance for angular motion or rotations. So anytime the mass on your body changes where it is, muscle development, growth, it's going to affect how you're going to spin um, and rotate. So it, that makes it more difficult. And then just the fact that you're growing, your muscles are sort of having to learn new coordination patterns of what you're doing. You might not have the same like relative strength and power anymore. So you can't jump as high. So you can't complete the same jump the same way you used to could do it. So there could be an awkward set of years until you come out the other side and you've sort of reached your matured
0: size. Does it apply to flipping and rotation?
1: It does. Um, You're just rotating about a different axis. So Mm -hmm. the figure skater's, with the jumps they're doing in competition, they're rotating about, we call it a longitudinal axis, but it's really the vertical axis going through your head to your toes. Okay, I'm up.
0: obsessed with this. Okay, okay. Right. So what we're dealing with on the ice is gravity,
1: yep.
0: friction, friction. The, uh, the inertia rule, like Newton's yep. law of inertia yep. and all that, yep. Um. and then like mass.
1: yeah. And I mass
0: is part of inertia, but we can keep. Oh, them separate. Of course, yeah. of course. Well, just for us, like people who are like brand yeah, new, tiny babies. Exactly. My physics brain is like, how long have we been talking? It's like fifteen minutes, years old. Like that's <laughs> like, it's not that smart. Okay, so okay, so here's the other thing I think that people don't realize about figure skating because it always it looks so easy. Like the first time oh I went figure gosh. skating, I was like. Six. I fully thought I was going to go out there and just be Christy Yamaguchi. I busted my face. I got a, like a bloody fat lip because like I fell. I fell face first. And like you're kind of like. You're definitely, like, three, four inches off the ground in figure skates, which you Mm -hmm. wouldn't think sounds like that much. But all of a sudden, it makes you feel, like, a lot taller. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, a skinny-ass metal blade. Like, it's extremely small. And there's two edges on either side of the blade, which you literally have to skate on. Like, I think that I always thought it was, like, just, like, a flat plane. But really, there's, like, there's two edges, like, an inside edge and an outside edge. And they're very different, and they're very important. It's very, like, Big Toe City or pinky toe city. <laughs> but I always live in heel city. Like, so I'm always falling off the back of myself because I'm always on my heels is what Elliot, my, my coach, tells me. So how does like being on the ice, first of all, with skates, how does that affect our center of gravity? Like in general?
1: So I think you said it really well. So your center of gravity or your center mass is going to be higher and four inches is pretty much right. I think what the skates affect more than that is something we call the base of support. Ugh. So the base of support is the area that's in contact with the ground or for skaters with the ice. And for most of us who are just walking around with sneakers or something, it's the whole size of your feet. But with a figure skater, like you said, it's only maybe depending on how big your skates are, 12 like inches long and an eighth of an inch at the most thick.
0: It's and little. It's
1: technically, like you said, there's two edges, so you're going from one to the other, but so, in another principle of physics is that to, like, maintain a static position, like just standing, you have to keep that center of gravity lined up over your base of support. So, you can imagine if you're standing still, if you're just standing on the ice and not moving, and you pick one foot up, you have to keep your center of gravity within, like, an eighth of an inch, back, left to right. That's Or your
0: uh, you're falling, which I've experienced
1: right. lots of times. <laughs> right. So I think what's really different as for figure skating on ice is that you have such a small area to have where your center of gravity can be to still be balanced.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how does a jump on the ice differ from like a jump on the ground or concrete?
1: I'm thinking there's two things. Cause you got to jump up and then you have to land. So I think both sides are different. Um, Certainly ice and concrete are both very hard. So that's one way they're similar. Um, Wood is probably fairly hard, but not like ice and concrete. But for for the jumping up part on the ice you're gliding in, um, so you can build up some speed or some momentum, which is gonna make landing both hard and easy. Hard because the balance standpoint. But on the other hand, when you land, you don't have to come to a complete stop. You can Mm. glide out, which is nice. So you don't have, like, say a gymnast who has to, boom, stick the landing and come to just a halt. You have to be balanced, like left to right and forward to backwards, but you can still glide.
0: Which is actually a measure of judging in figure skating. Like, your flow Absolutely. out of a jump is actually really important. And, like, Absolutely. they really want to see... Like, you never really want to see... If if someone's grinding to a halt, that means that, like... Well, you can stop, like, because it's choreography. But in a jump, oh, okay. you really should have, like, nice flow, like, out of your jump. That's, exactly. like, a whole thing.
1: Exactly. Yeah, momentum.
0: I've been told that I have, like... Nice flow out of my waltz jump. I have been told. I don't want to drop big skill names, you know, like make <laughs> people like, you know, it is a half turn, uh, you know, the waltz jump. And I have yes, been told I, I have been told by several people uh, that I have nice flow out of my waltz. I'm not trying to talk. I'm <laughs> trying to normalize giving ourselves compliments. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so does that mean though that like, doesn't it, it feels like when I'm falling on the ice, when I've like had hard falls, it, Hurts Like I've tripped and fallen from like running and it definitely feels like it hurts worse on the ice. Is that true or am I just being
1: a complainer? No, it could. I think a couple things. One, you might have more energy or momentum when you're falling from your skates because you might be going faster and you're Mm. probably a little higher, maybe if you're falling from a jump. So you're going to hit the ground with more energy. So Mm. then it's going to be more force acting as you like come to a stop. Um, and the other thing that could also make a difference is how you're like, what parts of the body you're falling on. Like when you're falling and you run, you might just trip and sort of, you know, like go a little sideways and put your hand down and it's not that big a deal. And you jump, you went up really high, you come down and you fall straight on your butt. And this just like a straight impact from high up. Yeah.
0: It's like hip city and figure skating. I feel like I'm always on like I'm on, like, crazy body parts. I'm on, like, an elbow, a shoulder, my hip. Yeah. So it's, like, worse injuries for figure skaters because, like, random falls.
1: Yeah, and I think you're coming from... Most skaters are probably coming from higher up when they fall.
0: Meaning, like... So, y'all, this is a thing that we've gone over with Mariah Nagasu, if you remember that episode. But when you see a skater do a combination, there is... In combinations, there's either a toe loop or a loop. Mm -hmm. And a loop, you're just, like, loops are crazy, y'all, because when you land a loop, you're just landing on one blade and And then jumping right back up off that same one. (laughs) Whereas a toe loop, you get to use that free leg to, like, like slam your toe your toe pick down it's like toe pick and you slam it down and then you jump up and you do your next part of the combination right. so it's much easier i'm very much a toe loop girl and i'm a <laughs> i'm a pick jumper like i'm better at jumps that have a pick than like just using your edge what is the science behind
1: landing
0: like a triple jump or even a double
1: so i think landing a jump actually starts before the jump when you take off you can't have an under-rotated jump and Mm -hmm. have the momentum to carry through to the next one, that flow you were talking about. And you need to be sure you're in a balanced position, so especially if you're going to either jump, if you're going to do the edge jump, so do a loop, you can't be like too far forward, too far back, too far left, too far right, because you need to land, you're going to absorb a little bit, and then you're immediately going to jump up again. So you have to be really balanced, Right. Over your foot. So I think being rotated and being balanced over your foot actually is going to start way back at the takeoff.
0: Because every little movement builds up on each other.
1: It does. So if you're not in the right position at takeoff, you're going to be like slanted in the air, or maybe you didn't get into your rotating position fast enough, so you're a little under-rotated, and then trying to pull off another jump when you're not in balanced position and not over your foot, and so you can't you know, get forced into the ground and pop up in the air and pull in tight, it's not going to happen. or not going to happen prettily. So, you know, you flow out of the next jump.
0: And basically, just so if anyone doesn't understand, a triple jump is like when you, no matter what type of the jump is, you're jumping up, you do three revolutions and you land. A quad, as you jump up, it's four revolutions and you land. So if you think about spinning around four whole times and your feet not hitting the earth... That is like some, you gotta jump up pretty high for that. So a triple toe, triple toe in 1988 was very advanced. Correct. By the time Michelle was like defending her world title in 2000 and 2001. Triple triples were starting to become Mm -hmm. a little bit more. Michelle had a triple toe, triple toe. Well, 1998 and 2002, you had um, Tara Lipinski had two triple triples in her gold medal winning performance. Sarah Hughes also had two triple triples. And both of their triple triples were edge now. Like, I mean, we're having girls doing like, Quad, Lutz, triple toe. Sasha Trusova. She has, um, or Alexander Trusova, but they call her like Sasha, but Alexander Trusova. She has quad toe, triple toe. She has quad Lutz, triple toe. She's got like such advanced combinations. And you've seen this in men's skating too. I mean, obviously like men weren't doing quads in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Then like her Browning got the first ratified quad. And then like, then they started happening more often on the men's side. And so is, is, is these athletes ability to complete a quad jump now? Is that from better training? Is it from understanding their physics better? Like how are they doing these so much harder of jumps nowadays?
1: Yeah. I think it's a, Three or four things. I think training, and that's gonna be training off ice training. So strength, power, agility, any of those um, things to build those skills. I think your technical coach that you're working with. So learning the on ice elements and as more and more is known about doing quads and what ways are working for people and potentially people with different skills. So some people are gonna be probably better rotators And some people are gonna be better jumpers in terms of height. Um, Mm -hmm. And to do quads, you need to sort of be both because you getting to the limits of the sport there. Um, And then I think there's also the element of confidence. So sort of the mental side. So more and more ladies are doing them, so you know they can be done. So if you're an elite level figure skater, it's not something, well, maybe someone can do it. It's been done once or twice. People are doing it, I'm going to say, not all the time, but the top skaters are doing them all the time. So there's probably no reason an up-and-coming skater can't say, so I can do that too.
0: If you follow me on uh, Instagram, you see me figure skating and doing a lot of gymnastics. One way that we stay safe in gymnastics is we, like, learn the skills into the pit. Like, you're, like, (gasps) you're doing stuff into, like, a big foam crash pad. So it really takes some of the pressure off because you can just kind of hurl your body and just, you're going to be in a foam pit. So you're most likely not going to get hurt when you're skating. <laughs> we don't really see foam pits that you can just practice, you know, a triple axel into. So what are some of the ways that like figure skaters can train these jumps a little
1: safer? Yeah. So I, there's a couple different things skaters do. Um, you've probably done this yourself and it might not help a whole lot, but, uh, put some padding in your tights or leggings, yep. but it's usually only maybe a couple inches thick. So it's nothing like a foam pit. So it maybe take, barely takes the edge off. Um,
0: crash and, pads. We love yes, a crash
1: pad. <laughs> exactly. And then uh, some rinks have harness systems built into the ceiling. So you can wear a harness that's usually on like a pulley device. You can actually skate around the rink or around and into the rink so you can come into your jump and then the coach can um, put some lifting force or pressure on the rope so hopefully as if you are about to fall or in the air and doesn't look like they sort of catch you before you land and fall
0: So it almost looks like a fishing pole kind of, but it's like, but it's like attached to the ceiling. So it's like a big, like almost like trapeze vibe. Like you like put a thing around your waist and then when you do your jumps, they like, So that you can like not fall if it seems like it's going sketchy.
1: Yeah. And they make something that looks, I'd say even more like a fishing pole. Like the coach has a pole. So they might just be using it to give you an upward force after you've jumped to keep you from landing hard and potentially falling. So they might not actually assist on the way up. Um, So they're just slowing down the force of gravity Mm. on the way down because they're giving an opposite upward force. They could try to assist you on the way up by giving you an additional force as you're taking off. Um, It's going to be the timing of what the coach does. And then they would be assisting with your push-off force. But most harnesses are really being used more to you know like catch catch sort of catch you catch you on the landing so you don't fall and hurt yourself not really you don't really want to change the way you're taking off because you're trying to learn a skill
0: they always say trust your gut but one time my gut told me to bleach my eyebrows and that was fashionable, but not widely well-received. While probiotics can't help you with most of your gut decisions, it can give your gut a little bit of support. And Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Did you know daily disturbances like poor diets, stress, travel, the use of certain medications, and plenty of other factors can throw off your gut microbiome? Oh, no! Enter Ritual. Their Symbiotic Plus has been a gorgeous tool. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com curious for 25% off. Ooh, honey, the weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I needed to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. Honey, these premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. They're giving you washable silk tops. I love the quality of their fabrics. It really is stunning. Oh my God. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com curious for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash curious to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash curious. So like when it comes to like the, our upcoming Olympics, there is like literally, because every country, there can only be like three, some countries get to send three and some get to send two, which like goes down to like these rules about like your placements and worlds like the previous year. So Russia's gonna send three women. We're right. gonna send three women too. Yeah. But in Russia, there's like legitimately like seven. Seven?
1: Yeah. Who agree. could,
0: who could really win the Olympics? And then of those seven, like if, if two of them or three of them get hurt, there's like another three that they could easily put up in there mm-hmm. that would medal and put like, they really, there's like two American girls and maybe like two Japanese girls mm-hmm. who could like if every single Russian girl like fell on everything and just shit their pants and like smeared their shit all over the ice rink, literally, then they could win. Like they could maybe get on the podium at least. But it's I would say the chances of a Russian sweep are like 90%. Cause they they swept worlds in 2021.
1: Yeah, they're and very strong.
0: Very, very strong. So <gasps> but so if we're just talking about like the Russian nationals from this last year. You've got Camilla Vaeva, mm-hmm. quad toe, quad sow, triple axel. They're all stunning. You've got Trusova, who's got literally quad letts, quad flip, quad toe, quad sow. The only thing she doesn't have is a quad loop. She has landed them on Instagram, though. And then she has a triple axel. Then you've got Anna Sherbakova, the reigning world champion. She's got quad flip, quad lets. um. Then you've got this like Maya Chrome. I don't know how to say her last name, but she's got Quad Sal, Quad Toe. Then you got Alian- Aliona Kosternaya, who hopefully is gonna have her, qu- her triple axle back and consistent. And mm-hmm. then you have um, um Elizabetta Tuchimecheva, who has like the world's most consistent triple axle. She's 24. She's a world champion from 2015. She just won second in worlds last year. She's my husband's favorite. She's amazing. <laughs> So for you, is it like, is it coaching that's setting them so apart? Is it like, is it the jump technique? Like, what the fuck? Like, how are they so good?
1: So I've watched their jumps, not had the data to like break them down on a computer and analyze them. But what I'm impressed with when I see them is it looks like from watching them on camera, how high they're jumping. Um, higher than I typically see most of the other ladies skaters jump. Um, so that's one thing that stands out to me. They carry a lot of speed into their jumps. So that really helps with the flow on the way out. But depending on what jump they're doing, particularly if they're doing like a pick jump, the the extra the speed as they come in could help with the force that they put into the ice with the pick and could give them more. Vertical velocity.
0: You need vertical velocity to jump up in the air. Okay, but doctor, what about this queen? Because we talked about under rotation, right? So under rotation is if you land under a quarter, sure. Or, you know, sometimes you'll see, they landed it, it was clean, but then sometimes it'll get downgraded and you'll be like, why? It's usually because it was like under rotated. Right. Um, But what about, there's a lot of talk on the Reddit and on the Twitter People that I follow all up in the world of like, you know, all the drama. What about the pre rotation? Did you notice? Did you notice any? Because on the pick jumps, you're meant to be coming down like on your pick. Yes. But what I learned, because here's the other thing, everyone. I sent you some of my jumps. And when you slow motioned my ass, you did inform (laughs) me that I was hardcore doing what's called a toe Wally. Like my toe (laughs) loop, instead of like springing off of my toe pick, my whole foot comes down and I jump off like a totally flat fucking blade, which, spoiler <laughs> alert, is not what we're looking for, okay? So I do not have a nice toe loop, as they would say, okay? It's,
1: it's pretty on the landing.
0: Thank you. But the, <laughs> th- thank you. sweet of you. But the lutz and the flip, you could also do the same thing where, like, you could slip. Like, really, shouldn't it just be your toe pick coming
1: down? Well, so your toe pick, there are—I think you're onto something really important. So some of the jumps— As you do them correctly, you do actually turn on the pick while you're still on the ice. So Uh not not every jump is technically, say triple jump, not every triple jump is actually three revolutions in the air because you do, as you take off, turn on your pick. So if you like slow-mo it, really, really slow, frame by frame, when the person takes off the ice, they will be maybe a quarter to a halfway around and it's not doing the jump incorrectly. Mm. Um, particularly like the toe pick. So, um, so a toe pick with like a toe loop jump. So a triple toe loop, you do turn on your toe as you take off. You don't go down flat.
0: But you did notice some pre-rotation on some of the quads.
1: Yeah. So like we did a study of um, quad toe loops and I'm trying to think of where the data came from. Most of it was probably like a Skate America event. Uh, and most of the skaters, if we took an average, were really almost 180 degrees turned on takeoff. So their quad is really closer to three and a half revolutions in the air. But that wasn't considered cheating because that's for the toe loop part of the jump. But if we had looked at a lutz, that would not... You can't really do a lutz correctly and take off like that.
0: Okay, so based off of your doctoriness, because you're literally like a research scientist in this... Any other 22 Winter Olympic prospects? Is there any, like, American who you're like, I don't know, honey, I think she might, I think we might still got it. Like, or, like, was there anyone who, like, caught your eye who you're, like, obsessed with for 2022?
1: I mean, I think, um, yeah, uh, Alyssa Lou
0: Yeah, Alyssa Lou yeah, she's major. Absolutely. Uh-huh, she got her triple axel back. Yeah. yeah. She got her triple axel back. I
1: think she's skating really well. Really um, well? She's really good jumps. I think she jumps high. Uh, she's got also, I mean, obviously skating's not all about jumps. You have to spin, you have to uh, choreographed elements the music, elements, yes. interpretation. So I think she's skating really well.
0: She's um, definitely become a more complete package. Like, definitely. Because she it used to be all about, like, her triple axel and her quadlets. And it is. She's becoming, like, more of a complete package, which is great.
1: Yeah. And, and um, I mean, if we go to the men, I think we have some really strong men.
0: We have really strong men. But I accidentally am, like sexist against men when it comes to figure skating and gymnastics accidentally. Cause I just like watching ladies more. Like the outfits are cuter. I feel like there's just more like emotiveness, unless you're Jason Brown or Nathan Chen. Cause I do feel like they are giving me Performance,
1: like performance.
0: Yes. Like they are getting, there's a couple rush. rushes. They're actually, I am kind of coming around to men's a little bit, slowly but surely. My coach is proud of me for that. Slowly but surely. I am just a <laughs> little bit. I'm also like newly obsessed with like ice dance and pairs skating, which paraskating skating yeah. kind of brings in a little bit of that like tackling ass strength.
1: Yes. You know, they're very yeah, acrobatic. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Which kind of leads me into this, our next segment, which is Advancing Science on the Ice. Yeah. So isn't a lot of your work about, like, helping to prevent injuries with skaters? And, And how does that research get conducted?
1: Yeah, so I don't know if everyone knows this, but figure skaters have a lot of injuries. And they can have, I think, what we were describing before, like, acute injuries from, like, falling and broken bones, bruises you name it, anything you can imagine. when you fall on ice. But they also have a lot of what we would call overuse injuries. Often people call them repetitive stress injuries. So from the repeated loading on the body, which in figure skating, there's a lot of loading, more and the more obvious culprits is landing from jumps. So there's stress or loading going up the leg that you land on. And I don't know how many people know this, but skaters land on the same leg for the all the jumps they're doing, right? So you do your toe loop, you do your lutz, you do your axle. And if you are a righty, you're landing on your right leg. It's not like some of your jumps are left-legged jumps and some of them are right-legged on the landing side.
0: Yeah, you're always landing on your right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Or your left. It depends on what side way you twist. (laughs) Right. But and because it's like your takeoff leg switches sometimes, but the landing is always, so if you like mess up your, for me, it would be like, if I mess up my right ankle, that makes everything way trickier.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I don't know how many people know that skaters always land on their same leg for all the jumps, even though takeoffs look really different. So yeah, we're interested in the stress on the body. So they, have, they get a lot of stress fractures, for example, um, in your foot, uh, knee, overuse knee injuries, like jumper's knee, hip and low back <laughs> stress fractures. And that's just from, I guess, one force I failed to mention at the beginning, something called a normal force. Uh, In biomechanics, we call it a vertical ground reaction force, just sort of action-reaction. When you come Mm. down to the ice and you push down into the ice, there's an equal and opposite force up on you. And that force then goes right through your foot, to your ankle, up your shin, to your knee, up to your hip and low back. And that we see a lot of stress fractures.
0: And so if something isn't strong enough, it just, that force literally goes up and breaks your fucking bone?
1: Um, yeah, so it more gets sort of micro-damaged over time. So there's something that um, we would call like stress E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, which is good stress, which is part of training. And you do stress to your muscles, your bones, and then with a little rest and recovery, they build back Um, stronger because they're like, oh, I don't want to have this load on me again and get injured. So I'm going to come back stronger so I can handle it. And then they get a little stronger and then you stress them again
0: Mm. and it could do a
1: little damage and they build back stronger. So you cycle your training. So you stress and you recover and you get stronger, both your bones and your muscles, for example. Love that. So that's a good thing. Um, That's like how we train. But if you don't have the recovery and you just keep stressing and stressing, you're putting load on the body before it's built back. And then you get micro damage that can go into stress fractures. Um, so they build up over time and then all of a sudden it hurts and you can't do anything and you take a lot of time off.
0: So that could be maybe like why we see some of these like younger figure skaters careers like ending a little bit sooner than they like. Cause I think Elizabeth Tuchimecheva is very much the exception to that rule because she is 24 and she's just mm-hmm. been like doing triple axles for literally like eight years and just keeps, but it's like, it could be that her training and lifestyle also maybe her biology, like she might just have sure. stronger bones or like a stronger sure. beginning makeup, but it's like there are just like we've seen like a lot of skaters recently that really like cannot make it to two Olympic cycles because their bodies just like are done.
1: It's hard. Yeah. Unless you've been maybe to an ice rink and watched while they practice, how loud it is. In a competition, you get the music, everything looks graceful. Elite athletes make things look so effortless, but you're there when they're learning and they're training and just the noise and the impact, you can tell how big, the forces are and it's over
0: and over. Even the noise when someone falls from a standstill. Like I was just skating last <laughs> week with my coach and there was this older woman and she oh was no. standing still learning. Her coach was showing her something and she fell from a standstill. <gasps> it sounded like, Someone smashed like an apple or like a cantaloupe, like on the ground. Like it was the loudest bang, and it was her head, like hitting the ice. Oh, she was no. okay, but like she was okay, but it was like it really, it is so. It it really is a thing that like even I forget about. Like it is very loud, and like falling and just it's it's really and, loud.
1: Yeah, and whacking your head against the ice, concussions are actually a big problem. And skating.
0: So how do you conduct your research? Like, how do you, like, get the data on this stuff?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. So with the loading on the body, we're um, instrumented and are still working on making a little more robust. The blade of a figure skate, we put strain gauges, which are just a really thin device which measure microscopically, like smaller than a human hair, how much the stanchion of the blade deforms when it's loaded And that signal goes to a computer chip. And we have a, I know it's pretty cool, a calibration that matches up like the deformation that occurs with a certain amount of weight on it. So the more weight, the more deformation you would get. So the idea is, this is pretty non-intrusive because it's instrumentation that's down under the boot on the blade. So a skater could skate around the ice and this would be recorded on like a sort of memory card sitting underneath the boot. And we'd get that data and come back to a computer and be able to look at the forces that are acting on them while they're skating. Because before this, um, there's not a lot of ways to measure force on the ice. Most experiments are done in the lab in, like I would say, simulated landings where they're landing on a sheet of artificial ice that's sitting on top of a force plate. And they could either jump off of something and land that's replicating sort of a similar height or for the ice ice surfaces um big enough you know they can't skate around and build up a lot of momentum but they can maybe do more like a
0: one like step a into an jump. axle yeah right. yeah yeah what's that blade called
1: somebody named it like a smart blade um, we sort of named it ice sense um, it's not like commercially available it's really just used for research right now um, and the way we have it set up right now you can't just, like, pull the strain gauges off and put them on someone else's blade. They get, um, like, cemented onto a blade. But uh, you probably oh, yeah, know. Oh, you couldn't I have
0: that falling off. Like, you couldn't have, like, a sensor plug. No, because you be would, really like, dangerous. break your ass. Yeah. yeah.
1: So right now, if you wanted to put it on someone else's boot, you would have to, like, unscrew their blade. I don't know how many people know that you can actually take blades off of a boot. And then we would take a blade, potentially, and put it on their boot. You can imagine some problems with that. It might not be sharpened exactly the same way as they sharpen there, So it's not perfect yet.
0: So basically that's kind of been like a hindrance in even like the research technology on understanding figure skating injuries because it's like there needs to be better technology to even mm-hmm. understand like what it's doing to the body.
1: Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So we're getting better, but it's not there yet. <sighs> so what's like
0: the most common injuries that you see in your field out of competitive figure skaters?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So stress fractures. Um, Lower extremity, so um, ankle foot stress fractures, probably most common, and then knee injuries, um, something called like um, jumper's knee, which from doing all the jumps and landings, you use your quad muscles, which are the muscles on the front of your thigh, a lot. And that inserts on the front of your leg, and you can get um, overuse injuries, so like um, tendonitis and swelling. It can be really painful. What about hips? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, you see hip injuries. Um,
0: My hips hurt, girl. That's why I'm asking. Is that from falling?
1: Is that from falling? Yeah,
0: my hips. Well, because I'm hurt. I fall on those fuckers so hard.
1: So I a lot of bruises and contusions. I was thinking of when you land. uh, Most people probably you see a figure skate. It's pretty stiff, and they they can be heavy or light. um, Probably depending on. The ones elite skaters use are probably a little lighter than maybe what you rent at a rink, but they're very stiff around the ankle. So your ankle doesn't flop back and forth, left or right. But that makes it really hard to use your ankle to absorb forces when you land. Because if you or I were to jump up and land or any of your listeners on the ground, you land on your forefoot or under the ball of your foot and you use your ankle, the knee and hip to absorb forces. And you sort of do that in a figure skate, but you don't have the whole range of motion to go through to land really softly because of the boot design. So you're probably using your knees and your hips are taking a little more of the um, brunt of the landing than if you're able to absorb some of that force down at the ankle. So this kind of force is passed up the chain. We call it the chain, ankle knee to hip
0: ah the chain of command honey i think that's (laughs) one of the things that like i definitely didn't understand about figure skating like your foot is like crammed into Mm -hmm. a like it's really there's no space in there like it's not comfortable wearing a boot like i gave myself bunions after like two months on each foot like it's not it's meant to feel like an extension of your foot but not a comfortable one
1: yeah and that's one problem with technology so originally we wanted to use some of the insoles that measure pressure or force because there's a lot out there that use like volleyball or basketball just for walking, but it's hard to fit them in a boot, which sounds crazy because why can't you just slide an insole in a boot? But there's so little room in an elite level skater's boot that um, the technology really wasn't working for us.
0: Yeah, I really, I mean, it's like, I can't even wear, like, a normal sock. Like, it, like it's, like, it has, like, a skinny, there's no extra room for anything down there. Yeah. What about, like, post-retirement? Like, do do you see a lot of elite skaters, like, having, like, their bodies just, like, fucked up for life? Or is that something that, like, elite skaters are thinking about now? Like, how to, like, save their bodies and, like, be injury free either for longer within their career or keep their bodies, like, safer for post-their career?
1: I would like to think they're thinking about that because I think... There are skaters who we've definitely heard of long-term consequences. Skaters who've had joint replacements at relatively young age compared to when probably most of the population is getting joint replacements. But I'm not sure when you're in the competition and going to try to win worlds that you're necessarily focusing on that.
0: On post life? No, yeah. I
1: yeah. I think it's the people who should be focusing it probably are on the people who are designing boots and blades and the. Um, strength and conditioning coaches working with the athletes just to try to be sure technique is as good as it can be and their muscle strength is as good as it can be and the equipment they're using is ideal. Um, I don't think any elite athlete is necessarily thinking about the long-term consequences as their elite athlete. Maybe some football now with some of the traumatic brain injuries.
0: Oh, yeah, that's true. So, as we are rapidly approaching the Olympics, um, which I can't even believe, how can we, like, watch the Olympics and the rest of the figure skating season and for the rest of our lives? How can we watch figure skating more like a scientist? So, like, what should we be looking for as we watch a skater jump?
1: Oh, when I watch a skater jump, I like to, like, how f- fast they're going into the jump. So, did they, like, build up a lot of speed coming into the jump, or are they approaching it a little more tentatively or slowly? Um, so, speed is to help them with that flow coming out and going to another program. And they should build up some for those figure skating people, grade of execution points, to make their big score bigger. Um, I like to look when they like, just like look like they pop up in the air. So it's like really high parabola or arch in the air, not something that's just skimming over the surface. Um, And I like to see how tight they are in the air. So they should look almost like a pencil, like the elbows aren't sticking out, the feet aren't sticking out. Um, they just look really tight. And then when they land, like you shouldn't even notice a glitch in the landing. It should just be so effortlessly smooth.
0: Yeah, like no like hooking or like no. obviously falling or like a yeah. step out.
1: Yeah, or even just where they come down, it looks like they sort of scrape against the ice and are still sort of rotating a little bit. or they almost fall, but don't fall. So everything just sort of stays in a nice arc all the way through.
0: This is a very controversial question for figure skating fans, but for people that don't know so much about figure skating um, and, you know, and fans are going to have their opinions too, no matter how you answer this, (laughs) how can we predict whether one skater will get a higher score than another for doing the same move?
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm not sure you could, Um, (laughs) but so every jump that you watch has a base score So as long as it's not under-rotated or downgraded, everyone should be starting with the same base score. And then the judges are going to award you sort of bonus points called grade of execution or take off some points if it's not done well. And I think a bigger jump is generally going to be probably better than a smaller jump. Um, A jump that I'm going to say is maybe well-balanced in terms of you take off, you rotate, And you land and it doesn't look like you're still, you know, eking out the landing all the way in. So the rotations are maybe more balanced on each side. So they don't maybe aren't really tilted in the air because you might be really tilted in the air and you can still land it. But you're sort of really leaning forward, even if you don't put your hand down. And it
0: like looks scary. You're like in the air. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I don't don't know. Unless you're a judge, I'm not sure you could actually (laughs) predict it. And also
0: sometimes like it's like not fair. I mean, sometimes like, you know, there's like not fairness in the judging. I think another thing that people often don't realize, too, when it comes to that grade of execution score is that like if the skater has like a much more complicated entry into Mm -hmm. the jump or Mm -hmm. a much more complicated transition directly out of the jump, Mm -hmm. like if they land on one foot and then like pick their skate up above their head, like leaving the jump without putting that foot down. They sometimes will give them a higher grade of execution Absolutely. because the transitions were really difficult. Yeah. Also, if their arms or what you did with up, your
1: arms. Yes. And yeah.
0: their arms go, <laughs> and you there was like a year or two there where if the skater put their arms above their head, period, they gave them a higher grade of execution, but then they did away with that rule. And so now they can give you a higher grade of execution if your arms are up and it looks good. But if you yeah. put your arms up and it looks makes it look sketchy, then it yeah. they don't necessarily like reward you for that. Um so because you're like a literal biomechanics doctor and you just so happen to study figure skating, but you said you grew up watching, you know, the Olympics. I'm <laughs> a massive Olympics fan. <laughs> Do you think there are other sports that we would like appreciate more if we understood the science behind them better?
1: Oh my gosh. Every single winter Olympic sport, the winter Olympic sports. I mean, they take place either outside on a mountain. So snow and ice and like gravity and they're crazy fast. So it's not a lot of friction. Gravity's accelerating down the hill. Balance is usually difficult. You're on skis and you're on skates.
0: So what about curling? Is that air friction? I would imagine with curling, isn't that a huge deal because you want to get like the chunks of the ice out of the way or something? So I'm
1: going to say surface friction. So, Surface
0: friction. Yeah.
1: So the um, rock or the stone on the ice is going to be really important. So you see the sweepers with the little brooms sweeping in front of it. Um, Yeah. So curling, it's, I'm gonna say, like, phenomenally cool to watch, but maybe more athletic than most people think.
0: So, are you trying to say that you understand curling?
1: Because I don't
0: a a little bit. So you can like watch it on TV and be like, "Ooh, it's like the second set, or like it's the long program, and if they land this combination, like you understand the sport a little bit." Because I don't. What the fuck are they doing over there? So it's like on the, it's like on ice, like bowling ball lane, kind yeah, of. Yes, sort of, And there's yeah. a bullseye. And then there's yeah. those rocks with yes. the handle. And then there's yeah. the sweepers. Yeah. And are the sweepers wearing ice skates? No, they're in tennis yeah. shoes.
1: But they're, they're so cool. They have one shoe they can glide on and one shoe they can, like, push on with friction.
0: Ah. But then the thrower, the person who throws the stone, are they in ice skates? Or are they in those shoes, too?
1: They they all have those types of shoes. But some oh. of them um have, like, a little rubber... Shoe cover that you can take on and off so you can you know change that it's like slippery versus traction,
0: and what are they doing up there there like there's what is it it's like it's a, is this, is it a set is it a game? So it's a have, different podcast because it's going to take so long to understand yeah, curling? But can you tell us in yeah, like five seconds?
1: So they have, I would say rounds and two teams are sort of like shuffle, maybe shuffleboard, I don't know, sliding the rock down and trying to get it close to the pen. But it's very strategic because you can knock other people's out of the way. It little like billiards too, maybe knock people's out of the way. And you try to get um, more stones or rocks inside the circle than the other team, essentially, by the time you've, all your team has thrown all of them.
0: And so every, how many rocks does each team get to throw?
1: I think it's eight. Two eight? Per, two per four people on the team. I think so.
0: So everyone gets to throw two and there's four on the team. So the sweepers and the throwers change?
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Okay, that's kind of and fun. And
1: there's a leader who sort of decides where they're aiming for and stuff like that. It's
0: team leader. And when you say it's more athletic than people think, why? Because you got to like squat on your knee when you so run up there and do it? <laughs> I was it.
1: going with flexibility and strength. So like they come out and they glide and they're balancing on one foot and it's like you sort of maybe like a little yoga would be really good. And then, you know, you're gliding and balancing. And then the sweepers have to like move themselves down the ice without falling, without bumping anybody else's stone. And like there's crazy vigorously sweeping back and forth. Yeah. I just don't think most of us could get down and glide in that position and release a stone. I think that's really hard. And you watch some of the like strength and conditioning stuff they do where they're balancing on one leg and throwing medicine balls and stuff like that. They actually like do training.
0: Okay, this is like a really fun like detour like on curling. That was like really fun and awesome. Oh. If you're like me, the threat of fascism is weighing on you this year. But even when the F word is uttered, way too few of us are considering the full scope of the danger, let alone how to really stop it. The Refuse Fascism podcast, hosted by Sam Goldman, names it, dissects it, and connects in depth analysis of what fascism is with the understanding and urgency we need to defeat it. And she is joined by great guests to discuss the threat of civil war, attacks on abortion rights and trans rights, Trump and the theocrats, Project 2025, efforts to erase history and critical thinking, and much more. Check out recent episodes featuring Kathleen Ballou, Jeff Charlotte, Sarah Posner, Wajahat Ali. Dahlia Lithwick, and many more. Subscribe to the Refuse Fascism podcast on your listening platform of choice or go to refusefascism.org slash podcast. Okay, so what as an expert in biomechanics, what like excites you the most about watching sports and athletic competitions generally?
1: Um, I think how effortlessly people make these crazy difficult skills look because it seems like, oh my gosh, look what this person did and they make it so look so easy. And then you go out and maybe just like you try downhill skiing, like at your local ski area. It's not that easy. And then you think of the downhill skiers are going like 80, 90 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, depending in control, go off a jump and they cover like a football field's length in the air and land and, and it just looks so natural and effortless. And so all the sports, like aerial skiing, when they go off the oh. ramp and they're doing all the flips and stuff in the air, that's just amazing. Just
0: I love that.
1: Oh, I know. I just think of like what I can barely do in sports and I see these people and it's just awe inspiring. <laughs>
0: Okay, and then, so, it's so cool. So, this, is there anything, like, back to figure skating? Like, do you think, yep. I mean, we just saw Yuzuru Hanyu, like, uh, I think it was, like, last year. He he attempted a quad axle but fell really, really hard. We still haven't had anyone land a quad axle. Then there was this other Russian guy that came, like, really close, um, like, in a practice, like, on a YouTube mm-hmm. video or something. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any moves that, like, right now are considered impossible, but we maybe could see?
1: Yeah, so I think the... Quad quad axle is a good example. I think that a quintuple jump is also a good example. Um, I think a lot of people come down one side of the other. I absolutely think that we could see quintuple jumps.
0: That would really be like four and a half with the toe loop.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Which is almost a quad axle. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Um, There's got to be an upper limit because you can only jump so high. I mean, There are limits to how much you know force you're going to be able to produce and how high you're going to be able to jump. You can only get yourself so narrow, so you can only get your moment of inertia so small. And the other variable that we didn't talk about is rotational momentum or angular momentum. Like you've got to generate rotation while you're still on the ice. So when in the in the in the air and you bring come in, you like take off and go really fast. So. I don't know what the limits are in being able to produce rotational momentum. The more of that you get as you take off, the faster you should be able to go in the air. But generally what we've seen when we've studied people is the more effort you put into generating rotational momentum, generally your jump height suffers a little bit or vice versa. Like it's hard to, you know, increase both at the same time. And certainly that's what we're going to take. We need someone who can jump high, someone who can get that rotational momentum and pop in really tight. But there's going to be a limit to what the human body can do, but I think four and a half in the air is going to be possible for skaters. So that could be a, qu- a quint or potentially a quad axle.
0: So, is what? So what you were saying was, is that like when you try to pull in tighter, that either makes you not jump as high, or like like it like it, if you try to like rotate faster and like it tight like it like it would it usually makes the height or the length suffer, which would make it harder <sighs> to rotate it.
1: Yeah, as people are learning the jumps, I think it's really hard to maintain one thing as you're trying to add the other. So you start to often see like a decrease. I think yes. eventually once they learn it, then they get, you know, if they get back to where they have the height and the rotation. But it's hard to, when you're learning something new, like work on sort of two things at once.
0: And then it's about just like preventing like injuries while oh. they're learning oh, that part of skills.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know if there could be technological gains in ways for people to practice with not having all injuries that come from landings. Um, I don't know what that would look like besides the harnesses that we talked about.
0: Or maybe like a more flexible boot or something to like let you like use your ankle without it like spraining your ankle or something. So there
1: are companies that make different types of boots. They haven't really taken off. Um, I think one problem with some of the more creative boot designs is if you already are an accomplished skater and you've learned everything mm-hmm. on one boot and you go to a boot that's behaving very differently, you can have a downtime while you acclimate to it. Sort of like having to go through growth spurts, you know, and you can't in the middle of your probably elite level career have right. a year or two where you're not performing very really well.
0: risky. Yeah,
1: so it'd have to probably be someone who grows up with some of the newer boot designs. Um, and that might be a coach being willing to, Like encourage people to use different boots. So the boot designs that I've seen, or even blades, it could maybe have a little, I don't know exactly what the rules are and what blades you can and can't use in figure skating, but a blade that could absorb some forces. I've seen some companies put some material between the boot and blade, which are supposed to dampen forces. So there's room for some technology maybe to help with some of the impacts technology maybe to help with. I wonder if the Russian girls jumping. are putting a
0: little bit of felt in there. <laughs> it's, like gets hidden in there. We don't even see it. We got like some gel insoles in there and we don't even know. Is there any moves that like you would love to see someone try that like has never been tried or like, do you have any like creative like things that you're like, it'd be fierce if they did like this or that.
1: So I never really thought about this, but I have people ask me this all the time. Why don't <laughs> skaters do this? So I'll throw this out there. I've got people who want skaters to be able to, choreograph their programs and be able to jump both ways. So righty and lefty. So you're skating part of your program you're jumping right. And then somehow you do some skills. So now you're skating around. So you're more a lefty jump and do like a double or a triple lefty. Um, so not just like a single jump, but actually be able to do maybe a triple jump both ways. Right. I don't know what the choreography would look like for that. Cause you know,
0: I've seen greasy gold try do uh, opposite double axles. Yeah. And it looks really hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that would be potentially really cool, but I'm not sure how it would work into a whole choreographed program. I feel
0: like you could do it because even on your choreographic sequence, you have to do, like, turns to the right and turns mm -hmm, to the left, but that's, that's like, with your skate down. So it's, like, you just, like, change your crossover, like, just for that jumping pass. It wouldn't be, like, impossible. It would just be, like, how do you not fall and break your elbows?
1: Yeah, and I think they'd have to award... Change the point system so that if you're jumping to your non-normal side, it's worth more. You know what I mean? Because otherwise, it's not worth. It wouldn't be worth the risk if you're not getting more points for it.
0: That, or, or it could also be like an unfair award for someone who's just like naturally like can go either way. Um, I tumble. Yeah. I do gymnastics with this one girl who can do a standing full to the left and a standing full to the right. Really? Yeah. Yeah, she can do both ways. Where really I even try to do a cartwheel on my right side, it looks it's like really there's something hard. wrong with me. Yeah,
1: so I mean, that would be really cool to see.
0: And Irina Suits guy used to do this. She used to like do like a sit, sp- like a combo sit spin, spinning to the right, and then she would change uh, her foot and yeah. switch and go to the That's left. That's really and cool. It was so hard looking. Like I can't even imagine that. Yeah. So, Deborah, <laughs> we've reached uh, uh, the part in the podcast where it's like. Yogini Recess, we've covered all my bases. I feel complete. I feel like I learned. I feel like I can't wait for people to just, like, watch winter sports and understand, like, all the science that has to do with sports. But is there anything that we missed or that you would just be like, oh, we didn't even get to talk about this one other cool thing that I love? Or do you feel complete, too?
1: Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I think we did a pretty good job. I think we did, too. Jumping, yeah, rotating, landing. What about, like, centrifugal force for spins? That's really important. Yeah, because did you know that in some of the jumps, you probably know this, that the force you need to pull your arms in can be about like up to one and a half times your body weight.
0: Uh-huh. So, I didn't know this.
1: Yeah, so like the upper body strength of skaters is really quite impressive. I know they aren't like bulky because that doesn't help with skating because we talked about that moment of inertia. But you still have to be strong. So when you spin around in a circle, you know how your arms just want to pull out. So they want to keep like moving along in the way they're going. So you have to use your muscles to pull in and hold them in tightly. And the force you need to pull your arms in can be like one to one and a half times your body weight. So if you think about that, think about one and a half times your body weight would be like if someone like was sliding over a cliff that was equal to your body weight, you had to grab them and hold them and maybe even pull them back up. So a skater technically is sort of strong enough to do that, like hold someone and keep them from falling over a cliff.
0: Unless like the skater is like 120 pounds and the person falling is like, like, you know, 300 pounds. That's and a very
1: would, valid point. That'd yeah. be a
0: different thing. But <laughs> yeah. what about like the body weight? Like what about the force of body weight? Like when ice skaters fall from a jump? Cause like, wouldn't Ooh. you be landing with like more impact than your body weight?
1: Oh, absolutely. So that's a great question. So that's what we're trying to measure with those, uh, the boots, the instrumented boots. So, I mean, estimates are that forces from landing from um, jumps could be anywhere from, you know, maybe only five or six times your body weight, which is still a lot, up to 10, 12, 14 times your body weight. Um, Yeah, so they're really big. And what people look at, too, is not just how big the force is, but how quickly it acts on you. Because of that ice on concrete that we talked about, the landings are really quick, like more as opposed to landing on foam, which spreads the impact over more time. So it's what we call a high loading rate.
0: Aliona Kostornaia just at her it, um it was the the French Grand Prix. Okay. She fell on her triple axel <gasps> so fucking hard. And she was like, not today, Satan. She stood back up and (laughs) she just fucking kind of like shook her arm off and you you could tell that she was pissed. I'm gonna, I gotta pull it up so I can show you.
1: When they're falling, they're usually going from like up to straight down. It's not like a gradual fall where body parts sort of just gradually come to with the ice. It's like, wham, all over all at once. I mean, you know this, like skaters bodies just are um, covered with like Bruises and bursitis, lumps and bumps all over their feet and ankles and bruises on their hips.
0: When I was going through it with like the Olympics this summer and I was like, oh my God, we're not the best anymore. And then I was like, why am I willing for our people to like suffer under like abusive regimes, like just for us to win gold medals? And then I realized it was those NBC Olympic packages. Oh, like, yeah. watching those when I was, like, five and six and yeah. seven, it, like, fucked my brain up. And it literally took Simone to, like, pull out for me to be, like, wait, no, I love the sport. Like, it's fine yeah. if we don't win. It's just, like, those American slow-motion flags and, like, all the girls going, like, I'm like yeah. I was, like, they're my best friends and I'll kill for them. It's totally, like, made me crazy. <laughs> Because they do that in figure skating, too. And I was like, if Trying to do. be Michelle, like, I'll kill him. Like, they just... Because it's like, I thought I was, like, the, their best friend. And I just, like, wanted to be, like, their best friend of like, <laughs> those gymnasts and figure skaters. To the point that I, like, hated everyone else. Yeah. But not anymore. I like everyone. Else.
1: Oh, that's good. That's
0: good. But there oh. is still a part of me that cheers when other people fall that aren't American. So it's still in there. Do well. you?
1: Oh,
0: it's, my gosh. It's a, so you don't have that at all? That's just a new thing. <sighs> not... I don't
1: know. Not necessarily. No. No, I like... Like it's the only skaters and athletes from other blinding, countries.
0: It's the only place where I'm like a blinding patriot. It,
1: it might know. depend on what sport. Right. Like the women's national team, soccer. So yeah, that's oh, like, you're like I'm that for them. The more, for them, but like for most, not for most of the individual sports, I'm going to go with no. I don't know why.
0: That's yeah. I think that's really like healthy of you. I wish I was <laughs> <like> that. <laughs> But that's not how I operate anymore. I just am aware <laughs> of its existence inside me. And I'm like, no, 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 we're going to cheer for everybody. Cheer for everybody now. Hey. You've been listening to Getting Curious with Me, Jonathan Van Ness. Our guest this week was Deborah King. Larry, I'm working. I need you to pipe down. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thanks so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. I also want to give a special thanks to Harry Larry, my oldest cat. Um, Listeners, if you are still listening to these credits and you hear him scream-yowing in the background, thank you for your patience. We sure do appreciate it. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Curious with JVN. Our socials are run and curated by Middle Seat Digital. Our editor is Andrew Carson. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, and Zara Krim.